computer. This is data. I'm an android. I'm a... basketball? I was processing all of the information. Processing. One of those idiots who believe in analytics. Rangers pick basketball. Analytics was crap. Does not compute. Just because you got good stats doesn't mean you're a good team. <laughs> Hello and welcome back to the Lakers Exceptionalism Podcast. My name is Tom Z, joined as always by Cranjus McRussell McBall. Tim, the Lakers have traded for Russell Westbrook. It was the trade I told you, like, I have no idea how this offseason is going to play out, right? You know, before it was just me and Mike. It's like, look out, you know, for the draft. Something's going to happen. Because I felt like they weren't going to keep their pick. But this is not exactly what I was expecting. Russell Westbrook coming off a couple of bad years, I would say. Um, At least as far as team outcomes with Washington and Houston. But I don't know, man. Uh, I, I guess, like, give me your initial reaction and we can talk through, like, more what's going to happen, you know, coming up here on Monday when free agency starts. But Lakers have, like, four players and $130 million under the cap. So I don't know. What was your first reaction when you heard the Lakers traded for Russell Westbrook? I was I was not happy initially. And the the <laughs> quick succession of... of events that happened took me from like a high place to a low place really quickly because just a few minutes before this one was announced we heard that the Lakers were planning to trade for Buddy Heald and that trade was I mean Trez and Kuz for Heald the pick wasn't they, they, they were able to negotiate down get out not have to give him the pick it was like looking like a really nice trade to add a legit spacing threat and then just a couple minutes later, it's like, oh, nope, never mind. That's not happening. And this is a very, very different direction where instead of adding someone to like prop up Braun and ADS stars with like, you know, really good fit of role players, this is on the other end where it's like a third star type of guy. And it completely changes. I mean, the roster itself, we ended up giving up several more pieces in this trade. And I'm still trying to work through exactly how I feel about it. But we know what he has. We know he what he thinks he has but maybe doesn't have and the Lakers only have a handful of guys now on the roster so how they take these next steps will matter a bunch for making things work out but I have a lot of concerns I have a lot of things I'm excited about but initial reaction was like crap I really wanted Buddy Heald yeah it's and we'll definitely talk about that in the prism of this trade as well I don't know how far down the line those two teams got I wouldn't be surprised if that they if the Kings wanted 22 and the Lakers wouldn't weren't willing to give it up and that there wasn't a full framework of a trade agreed upon yet. You know what I mean? It seemed like they were close, but we don't know how far they got on that. From speaking with agents that were close to more than one player in this proposed deal, they thought it was happening. They mm-hmm. they had a they like given what the teams were countering with and going back and forth, the Lakers had initial offer, the Kings countered, the Lakers countered that and kind of negotiated it down and took the, the pick away and they thought it was going to happen. And then that was just like really quickly pivoted from to do the rust deal instead. So it, not just on the outside did it seem like the Lakers did a really quick 180 and it left a lot of people, at least initially, including myself, 
wondering how to react to the trade because I wasn't sure if there was another team involved, if, if, if Heald was still in some way involved in some sort of sh- Schroeder sh- uh, sign-in trade that just couldn't be announced because we didn't want to have uh, a Bogdanovich situation that the Bucks had last year where they had a sign-in trade that, trade that they had figured out, but because it got out early, that's tampering, and then it couldn't happen. Mm-hmm. So I wasn't, you know, I was kind of pumping the brakes on providing my analysis or my opinion because I thought there might be more, but at this point it doesn't appear as though there's more. But but the teams were like if the Lakers wanted to do that deal, that deal was there. Yeah, no. And, and you know, I was kind of tweeting this all day that it's hard because of the timing of the trades. You know, obviously, Trez had just opted in. Right. Mm-hmm. So that's a big trade piece. That's another like 10 million dollars that you can add. So he Trez had just opted in. We're negotiating with Sacramento. We're negotiating. And then you get the report, right, that we're negotiating with Washington. And so. I'm thinking, oh, is Washington leverage for, oh, we don't need your your buddy healed. We're going to go get mm-hmm. Russ and pay like an extra player. If you're dead set on the pick, Sacramento, all I have to do is throw in KCP as well and I get a former MVP or however you want to frame it to Sacramento. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Or is it the other way around, which maybe is more accurate that the Lakers were negotiating with Sacramento as a leverage play to maybe not include an extra whatever pick. In <laughs> there wasn't Westbrook. much else to offer. That's the Fair. thing. Maybe I THT, mean, I guess, would be the one piece that they could have. Yeah, could have. Yeah, but yeah, it, we don't know. We don't know if it even played like that at all, right? But it does mm-hmm. fit the Lakers' brand, and f- I forget who specifically. I think it was Josh Riley I was talking to on on Twitter. Is like, why do the Lakers always go for the superstar over practical logic? Like. Because that's what they've done for 70 years. Yeah. And it's mostly worked out to their favor. So there's a lot of, you know, learned habits here, ingratiated habits that franchises just kind of operate under. And that's just Mm -hmm. our MO. Yeah. In in previous off seasons, after the fact, after the pieces fell, however they did. People, podcasters, analysts will go back and say, oh, you know what? This is what I think the Lakers were going for. This was the style of play. This was the type of player. No, 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 no. (laughs) They were going for the stars up front. And then they went to their plan B, which was a slightly smaller name and plan C, a smaller name than that. And the pieces fell how they fell, whether that's, you know, going after a Kawhi and then going to grab your DeMarcus Cousins or grabbing your Dwight Howards or this year trying to get some of those star point guards, star guards. Plan A didn't work. Okay, Russell Westbrook is the next biggest name that's attainable, and that's what we're going to go with. And that was – somebody asked me in the Discord that morning, like, how are you feeling? And I was like, I am cautiously optimistic, and I am also worried, and I'm fluctuating between the two because the cautious optimism was I think a heel trade can happen, and the worry was I think a Westbrook trade can easily happen if that's the way the Lakers want to go. So we we got to see in just like 10 minutes it swing from one end to the other. I was already answering questions on Twitter like, yeah, I like the heel trade. This is what the Lakers are going to end up with because it sounded like it was it was kind of set and then really quickly had those tweets age poorly. And yeah, it's yeah, it's a whole big thing. And, and I mean. Think about the difference in terms of what the Lakers gave up. KCP's gone. He would have been there in that other trade. The pick is gone. Uh, I, I, you know, I was on vacation last week. We we weren't able to tag up with uh, me joining you and Mike on the pod, but uh, I ended up. I mean, <laughs> I don't feel as I didn't miss as much. I don't have to catch up on as many podcasts about some <laughs> of the uh, the draft stuff because the Lakers ended up trading that pick away. 
And so we're in a different position now where it's like LeBron, AD, Russ. We're assuming THC is going to be back. He didn't seem to be a piece that the Lakers were looking to trade at all or try to sign and trade at all. It looks like they're going to try to bring him back. And then after that, we hear maybe they don't want to pay Caruso. And we can talk about this later, but there are a lot of question marks as to how they'll fill out the rest of the roster. Um, That, you know, it's just a completely different team than it would have been with a heel trade where you still kind of have a lot of structure together. Yeah, we'll get into later kind of what's next and how to fill the rest of this team out, I think. Or, you know, there's there's a lot of smoke out there right now with a lot of different players connected to the Lakers, a lot more than last year, at least. Um, The thing I want to get to, though, really quick, just breaking down the trade itself. Right. I've seen a lot of people say, oh, man, the Lakers traded three assets and a pick. Like, let's be honest with the trade up first, Tim. Mm-hmm. The Lakers traded three role players, only one of which was regularly on the on the court at the end of games in crunch time. Yep. So and, and they traded a first round pick with which, you know, there is a certain amount of like very defined value, you know, for teams. And they got two mm-hmm. seconds back. Essentially, to me, what this trade comes out to is like matching salary for Russ. And here's a pick. Yeah, it will, and we even heard the Wizards don't want two of the three players we gave them. Right, like they, they, I don't think they were negotiating up to get to Kuzer Tress. They don't want Kuzer Tress. No, it's salary um, fashion. Yeah, it's it's salary. Like KCP is a legitimate asset, and looking at this trade, like I'm not, you know weeping that we're going to be losing Montrez Harrell because he was somebody that if he opted in, we, the two of us, were looking for him to be traded anyway. So that's not a big deal. The fact that it's four for one isn't a crisis. Um, But KCP, that's a legit piece that you're losing. Kuz and Trez, I'm, I'm okay moving away from. And you add a guy that has some like very top end skill sets in a couple ways there are certainly threats. There are certainly opportunities with how the rest of the roster plays out and how everything fits together. But you got a legitimate playmaker on this team. And uh, like you said, that the 2024 second rounder, 2028 second rounder, LA got back. That's not really, that's not much. But the one other piece of this that we can't gloss over is Dennis Schroeder might also be a casualty of this. In a similar way to we talked on other pods about how the Lakers like hard cap themselves. They wouldn't be able to like maybe they couldn't pay Caruso or pay THT. They might lose them or something because they brought Russ in. Schroeder's not going to be able to start. And because the Lakers have basically traded away all their tradable assets that they'd be willing to move. They don't really have picks. Schroeder's in a position where if the Lakers try to sign and trade him. He needs to be the headline of that. And mm-hmm. looking at the market right now. He looks like the guy that's going to be left standing in the game of musical chairs, and it doesn't as it doesn't look as though he's going to get the money he was looking for, which is something that if you asked me a week ago, I you know I would have been a little bit more happy about because that means the Lakers might have to pay him less. He's more affordable. You bring him back, and then you maybe try to move him down the line. Whereas now, if he does walk, you're not replacing him with any extra buying power. You're replacing him with a min contract, and then the four for one becomes a five for one, and that is that's harder to deal with, and and so. I don't know that there's a sign and trade coming for him. If so, I don't know exactly what the Lakers are going to get back. I know what I'd want them to try to get back stylistically. Shooting, shooting would be great. Um, but there might be a chance where he just returns, is paid, I don't know, his 15, 18, 20 mil for the Lakers. And 
then they try to move him down the line and he's a sixth man and he's probably not happy and that squeezes time from other guards and then the Lakers maybe just walk away from Caruso because they don't want to pay more money. So it's it's a weird it's a weird situation where along with hearing that the Lakers are concerned from a money standpoint about paying Caruso, they just brought in a guy who's paid 44 mil this year, 47 mil next season in Russell Westbrook and now they have money decisions to make with some of their other role players that if if they let guys walk, they're replacing them with with minimum contracts. So ring chasers are really gonna matter with yeah. this team. And actually if you've you got nothing up, else. If you back up a couple moves, right, it's more like a seven for two because we traded Danny Green and a first round pick for Dennis Schroeder. Yeah. In the first place. So you lose that pick, you mm-hmm. lose Danny Green, and you're gonna and you could potentially lose Dennis Schroeder. Yep. But to your point, yeah, it seems right now, and of course there's still a lot of things to shake out. But if you're Dennis Schroeder and you can't get a starting position in Chicago, Cleveland, New York, any of these teams who have cap space, I think you'd rather make 15 million and be on the Lakers bench and at least be on a contending team with a, another bullet to fire at the trade deadline. Yeah. And you know, he could be somebody who could go to, you know, a team trying to make it into the play-in tournament. He could be somewhere whose point guard got hurt. You know, he could that gives you another bullet for a lot of different things. But is the buy-in there? Is his where's his head at these days? All those he mm-hmm. would need to figure out before he signed with the idea that he's coming off the bench now. Yeah. Um, and that's a tough pill to swallow for any player. Absolutely. Especially for a guy who's been vocal about it, was vocal yeah. about it before, even played for the team last year. So it's a tricky situation. And with both him and Caruso, we're at the point where I'm worried that they will just walk. And the Lakers will, instead of having, you know, they need to go get five vet mins, they got to go get like seven vet mins. That, that's, that's a situation. And at the same time, those are both guys you probably, if you're another team, you don't want to hard cap yourself for Alex Caruso. You don't want to hard cap yourself for Dennis Schroeder. So I'm almost rooting for the team to pay them both, retain them. And then if they do want to trade them, trade them, what, 30 or 60 days from now when yeah. it's a tr- just a, a straight up trade rather than a sign and trade. Because um, you, you need to keep those assets or get something back for them in some kind of way. But I don't, I'm not optimistic about the sign and trade prospects for either guy uh right helping with this though is the fact that the lakers were able to get a couple guys as undrafted free agents that look like legitimate potential legitimate contributors at least values for where they were obtained so that definitely helps that gets you some you know real talent there um but it's it's a tricky situation and then when we think about a year from today we might be in a situation where the nets or the clippers are where they have guys that were key contributors to them they're Nick Batum's, they're Jeff Green's, that they can't pay to keep. They can't pay more than that 120% or use their one like exception a year to keep these guys. So if the Lakers do get some great vet mins, if they win the title, fantastic. Like That's the goal. But if you don't win the title, but those guys were good, you're probably going to lose those guys again. So there's going to be a lot of churn year after year just because the Lakers won't have the, the money to pay those players to stay in the way that they could have paid some of these guys they trade, traded away that were more longer-term assets from the past because of their like early bird or bird rates. Well, and I'm no Eric Pincus, so you know, subscribe to his podcast and listen to him. But if I recall correctly, 
toward the end of the year, you see plenty of teams making these let's get out of the tax trades, yep. right? So it's not to say the Lakers are going to, you know, they're not going to be able to get out of the tax the way their roster's constructed. But if you pay everyone in the summer, if you bring everyone back, and then at the trade deadline, you say, this is what's working, this is what's not. If we get rid of this $14 million Schroeder contract or this, you know, eight to $10 million Caruso contract. It's not a negative value. We don't have to attach assets just to get rid of it. We could get back, you know, 80% of their contract to pay a little bit less and still get a decent, you know, it's walking a pretty fine line, but it's not impossible to think they can find some trades on the margins to save because, you know, after a certain, you know, it becomes 125, 150%. Is you know, and up to two hundred percent, I think, is you know what Golden State almost got to a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. But you have time still after those contracts are signed to save yourself a little bit of money. However, right, and I tweeted this out. We were texting a little bit. You cannot trade for Russell Westbrook and become cheap with your assets you have left over. You can't do it. It's it's malpractice, yeah. in my opinion. You brought in a guy that's going to be paid twice as much, maybe more than like a Spencer Dinwiddie or than some of these other guys that are like already paid a bunch of money, like twice as much as Lonzo's probably going to get. There are other guys you could have tried to sign and trade for or straight up trade for that would be paid substantially less that are close enough in capability that keeping them and then keeping these other role players around, you might have a better team than if you go trade for Russ and then you strip away every bit of depth that you have because you are trying to pinch pennies left and right. So that's that's what I'm worried about. You, I agree with you. You can't go get Russ and then decide, oh, actually, we're cheap now without having played one regular yeah. season game. If we get to the trade deadline and they need to unload money, unload money. But... right. This is not the time. Those are two different, like, methodological, you know, choices you can take. Those are two different paths, and they need to pick one of the two. You can't go get Russ and then also, you know, try to be one of those poverty franchises that we try, that, you know, Laker fans like to make fun of that are, that are pinching pennies and don't want to go over the tax and stuff like that. So pick a lane, stick with it, and commit to it, and give this chance, this team a real chance to compete. All right, so we'll get more into the team building, I think, in the second <coughs> half. Let's talk about Russ himself a little bit, how he fits in next to AD, LeBron. Um, obviously, everyone's talking about the shooting uh, for good reason. Um, I think the other thing up on people's minds is the defense, which you know we talked about a little bit uh, on our pod. I still believe... There's enough for Vogel to work with and within the team scheme. Russ has been in the league a long time. Um, he's a very smart player. I believe he'll be fine defensively. Maybe not great. You know, we might take a hit. Uh, but it, a lot of things are up in the air. Is AD going to move to the five more? We're hearing it sounds like it. You know, the he's finally maybe willing to swallow that medicine. Um, But. As far as what he brings to the table, Tim, first off, right, physicality, just intense, uh, you know, athleticism that even a 38-year-old LeBron James can bring to the table. You know, Anthony Davis, elite athleticism, 
pressure on the rim, transition success, right? These are all things the Lakers already kind of had strengths in to some degree. And talking with Mike, you know, we were talking some some teams. Oh, you always chase the balance, right? You always want to be perfectly balanced as all things should be. But in team construction, sometimes if you have a great starting pitching staff, Tim, you trade for that extra ace because then you have four aces going into the, the playoffs, right? And then it's mm-hmm. a, it's not a three-man rotation. It's a four-man rotation. And building strength on strength, I think there is something to be said for that um, as far as making the Lakers better in the areas they were good in when they won the time championship. And that team didn't have amazing shooting. Obviously it's better than the five players we have right now, but all that said, where do you land on the, the positives and negatives that come from Russ around our two main guys? I think he adds three key strengths to this team. And one of them which goes right along with what you were talking about, is his ability to drive, his ability to get to the rim, and then his ability to finish at the rim. We saw Dennis Schroeder get to the rim pretty well, struggle to finish at the rim, struggle with the physicality at that rim, banging into somebody needing to finish over legal contact. And Russell Westbrook doesn't have that problem. He, among point guards, had the third best getting to rim rating at B-Ball Index, he gets there. He's, he's going to get his shots at the rim. He's self-creating opportunities at the rim. He's not someone you stick in the dunker spot because he's not a shooter or just have him go screen around because that completely takes away his playmaking ability. But he is somebody that on ball is going to create shots at the rim and that opens up dump offs. That opens up kick out spot up opportunities from collapsing the defense. That in itself is a strength that causes the defense to rotate. And that's what you want to do in basketball is you want to beat somebody. You want to target a good shot and then either get that good shot or force the defense to rotate and then read the defense and then kick it out or dump it off for that even better shot. So he's got that. Um, in terms of finishing at the rim, his his field goal percentage at the rim is a little bit worse than his true talent just because he's taking shots that are, at least according to our math, harder than 99% of players in our database at the rim. So he's got like a B-plus field goal percentage. He's an A, A-minus talent when you adjust for that. So he's very, very good at both of those things. And that helps a bunch. And that opens up just that style of all handler helps open up things for an AD who's going to, you know, feed off of some dump offs in those situations. Another thing that he brings is his playmaking. It's legit. It's very, very good. He he was the second ranked playmaker in our database this year behind Trey Young. He's uh, second in volume of, you know, scoring opportunities he's creating for teammates, regardless of if they hit the shot or not. That's only behind Chris Paul. The quality of the looks he's generating, adjusting for the caliber of teammates he's playing with, was 17th among point guards. So it's it's good. It's nothing elite, but it's good. Uh, the efficiency, and this is something that he's gotten knocked on in the past, is uh, he turns the ball over. Well, when you consider the volume, when you consider the quality, his efficiency in, in our math is actually third best among point guards. He, when you seek out those high volume chances, those high quality chances, you will turn the ball over. That's just part of what comes with the game. Um, but he does, you know, he threads the needle very well considering everything that he's he's doing. So really good there. He's in the top tier of our passing versatility metric. He's going to read the floor really well. This is something that we really, you know, struggled with at times with Schroeder in terms of reading the floor, who was a couple tiers below Russ. So he's among those top 12 players in the league when it comes to seeing that whole floor and our passing versatility metric. And that's really, you know, that's a great playmaker. And then 
how that materializes is really the key for me and what I'm pointing into and trying to dig deeper on because you have an opportunity for great synergy with AD. There's also the threat of, you know, defenses go under his ball screens or teams are sagging off of him and that will take away opportunities he might or other players might normally have to create for teammates. So we need to really parse out exactly how that looks because if AD can be f- being fed off of dump offs, that's good. But if it's off of dump offs and rolls, that's even better. So we want to have both of those elements going. And I have some questions about the pick and roll part, but at least in terms of getting to the rim and creating, he's he's very good there. And then he just he increases your team's pace. He gets your team out playing fast in uh, 538's pace impact estimate stat. He was second in the league this past year, and he does that in a couple ways on defense. He's playing passing lanes. He's got to be great there. He's picking pockets. He's got to be great there. So he's stealing the ball, and then he's he's running and he's going. He's also rebounding. He's grabbing a bunch of defensive rebounds, rebounds and going. Um, he pushes off after, after makes, after misses when he wants to. He outlet passes you know, to half court or those deep touchdown passes. We'll see him connecting with AD for those really long passes. So he gets your team playing fast based on both his offense and defense, and that helps your team's efficiency. And something that it's it's a it's a little nuanced because his individual scoring efficiency is is pretty poor in transition, and it has been for years because his <coughs> excuse me his uh, his I it's not IQ his shot selection is is bad his decision making is poor and his jump shooting is really poor so in transition he's pushing a bunch and if you just look at how efficient he's been. It's like it's really bad. It's been below average even for a half court possession. Like there are times where you can be below average transition scoring, but you know you're still getting good offense in general because it's better than a half court possession. Russ has been worse than a half court possession in transition multiple years in the past couple of years. So that is a huge concern. But his playmaking, his passing, when you factor that in, and that's part of the equation, you have to factor that in. Overall, he's just an elite volume transition guy with about average total overall transition efficiency. And that's good. That's helpful, useful winning basketball. I mean, you have any combination of two of the three or all three of Russell Westbrook, Anthony Davis, and LeBron James running at you in open space and it's game over on that possession, at least, Mm -hmm. you know, Russell Westbrook is fantastic with hit aheads. You know, I think those were going to come back in a lot bigger fashion. Just or the, just overall, the team playing with speed, LeBron getting a rebound, hitting it up to the half court, or, you know, AD leaking out after contesting a three. I think all those principles, you know, and now Russ is rebounding and he can hit ahead to AD when LeBron's on the bench, maybe. So I think this is a little bit of a hedge against LeBron's aging. And I think that they're going to actively because guess what tim we're gonna have russell westbrook for a couple of seasons because mm. he's picking up that 40 whatever million dollar player option and the lakers had to know that right they don't have the assets to trade him again you know even if it's an expiring big contract you probably got to put a sweetener in there just to get $40 million worth of players back. Yeah, they can't right? get off bad money at this point. They no. have no picks. They have no assets. <laughs> with, other, than, other than taking someone else's bad money that maybe lasts right. a different length or that's more useful, whatever. Mm-hmm. We're going to have Russell Westbrook for two years. That's what happened this week. Um, And to me, yeah, it does seem a, li- a bit like uh, – 
Apparently, they all sat down. Russ, AD, LeBron talked about, you know, how to fit him into the team. Um, You know, we've talked in the past about LeBron chopping guys' games up. I do think that there will be a level of accountability on the basketball court that Russ maybe hasn't had since Kevin Durant was his teammate. Um, Obviously, I can't speak to that personally because I don't know. But it is my it would be my guess that they would be more willing, able and honest with less of this, but that more of this, you Mm -hmm. know, and Russ is our third best player. I don't think he's been a third best player on a team since OKC. And he might have been the second above James Harden at those times. You know, um, just how it is. He and James Harden as a, a Rockets duo never made a ton of sense to me. They, you know, obviously got rid of all their centers and basically said, Russ, you're basically our center who has the ball in his hand at all times. Let's put shooting around you. But he got to the rim like like mad that year, right? Because yep. once they figured it out, he has a bunch of lanes to get to the rim and then he does great at the rim. Mm-hmm. Um, Washington, you know, Scotty Brooks, that team construction was always kind of clunky, like, not perfect to suit him. And I'm not saying we're going to be, but he was expected to be a one B or a two and set guys like Robin Lopez and Davis Bertans, Rui Hachimura up. Um, and I think all three of those guys had okay seasons, you know, not saying it's because of Russ, but to your point, he is an excellent playmaker and he gets, he's good with dump offs. You know, he's, I think couldn't have some chemistry with uh, Mark Gasol if Mark sticks around and kind of a second unit. You know what I mean? Um, So I hope the kinds of moves that have happened, you know, we got rid of Trez. It's TBD on Drummond. But I hope all this makes it more likely Mark comes back because I think he'll definitely have a valuable role on this next year's team. Um, Roster construction, you know, notwithstanding. But as far as Russ goes, I can't put him any more simply than he is the best third player the Anthony Davis, LeBron James have played with on this Los Angeles Lakers team, you know. So you can figure out the faults and the flaws. And and to be honest, he gives us a little bit more team speed, too. I know he's 33, but he still plays like a bat out of hell, you know, like that intensity that speed, you know, I'd been kind of wanting and we lost KCP is kind of our big speed guy right now. So I'm, I'm warming up to the trade. Obviously it's not done in a vacuum. So if we sign DeMar DeRozan, Rudy Gay, and, or, you know, someone else, and we don't have like a lick of shooting, I'm going to be worried. But I think it's a bit unfair to only criticize the lack of shooting when, I I don't think the bubble Lakers had a ton of shooting. I don't think the Bucks had a ton of shooting. It was good enough. But the Bucks beat you in diff- in certain ways, right? And I think that's a this is a bet on athleticism, physicality and like we're just going to space jam you every game. Mm-hmm. You know, up and down the court when we're at our best, 
that's just build, trying to build the strength on a strength I was talking about earlier, I think. Yeah, I, I think people try to oversimplify how to win in basketball at times where they say, you know, you have to be able to shoot threes or you have to play good defense or this or that. All of them matter. It, 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 you know, your ability to hit shots, whether it be from the perimeter or at the rim, that matters. If you're able to just destroy teams on the offensive boards like the Lakers did the, the title year, that matters a ton. The Bucks this recent season, they were the fifth best three-point shooting team in the regular season. In the playoffs, they weren't hitting shots. They still had guys with gravity, though. They were still able to kind of right. get some space that, in, even though they underperformed a bit. But, is that percentage or volume? Uh, percentage. Okay. They were like, I think, 10th in terms of playoff uh, three-point makes a game and like I think 12th right. or 13th in percentage. But, I mean, when Bryn Forbes is out there bricking shots, it's still Bryn Forbes. You still have to go guard him. Um, yeah. But they're killing you at the rim, and they had, like, the number one or number two defense. So, it, yeah. it, like, looking at the Bucs and saying, like, in the Lakers, I, I, I'm sorry, the, the Bucks offense this playoffs was ranked, like, 10th or 11th among playoff teams. So you can't say, ah, well, they didn't hit threes. You know, they, you don't need to hit threes to have a good offense. Well, you usually do unless you're destroying at the rim and destroying yeah. on the boards and getting to the free throw line a bunch. You have to be able to sh- hit those threes because they, they, you know, the more points is great, but also that opens up the floor for your driving mm-hmm. guys. So as we're looking at Russ and how to evaluate his skill set, until we know the other seven or eight guys that are going to fill out this roster, it's hard to say this will be an issue or not. It's going to be harder. His spacing, the spacing he provides for his teammates certainly won't be great, um, but it's not. I mean, it's 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 better than like JaVale McKee. Like there's certainly like it's it's bad for a point guard. It's legit bad for a point guard. His catch and shoot three point percentage thirty six percent this past year. That's not horrible, but when you look at like his shot quality year after year, he used to take hard threes. Now he takes really easy threes because nobody guards him. And that shows you that he does not have gravity. So when LeBron's trying to drive and Russ's man is there, the Lakers need to figure out how do we tactically do something about that? Because if you kick it out to him, his tendencies a lot of times are just going to be to jack up a shot and he's not a good jump shooter. So figuring out the X's and O's piece of it is a challenge that he presents if the Lakers are able to add a bunch of shooting with their subsequent moves, I worry about it a lot less than I, in theory, am right now. But, uh, yeah, those those upcoming moves really, really matter for if it's at, at the team level a strength or a weakness, but they certainly double down on being able to get to the rim. And I'm I'm pleased with that. But so so we talk some Russ's strengths, Russ's weaknesses. This This leads us right in there. The three-point shooting is an issue. He's had an F three-point shot, making seven of his eight seasons in our database. Um, I talked about how his quality has gotten really, really easy the past couple years. Um, but it's, I don't know, that spacing's going to hurt. He's had a worse three-point shot making grade this past couple years than any Laker player over the past few seasons. It's it's bad. And his mid-range shooting isn't all that much better either. He's at about 40% with his stable uh, field goal percentage on short and long mid-range shots. So that's 0.8 points per possession. That's not great offense, but he's like leading the league in short mid-range jumpers. So uh, he's taking shots he's not great at, and that is concerning to me. So that that makes me a little that wor- that worries me a bit when we look at like his ISO game. He led the NBA in perimeter isolations this year. His his offensive rating on those was 78. When you include like the passes and assists off of his ISOs, it was still 86. Like that's not good. That's really, really bad. But he does it 
more than anybody. Uh, when his, if you look at his post ups, he posted up more than any point guard in the league, unless you count LeBron. He was just below LeBron, twentieth uh, in the entire NBA in post up volume, and he was twenty third percentile in his stable post up points per possession. If you include passing, it's still not great. So these are areas of his game when you talk about and we've talked about LeBron and LeBron teams slicing and dicing your tendencies to having you do what you're good at. Those are two areas that he does as if he is the best at them, but he hasn't been at that level for half a decade. And that that worries me. You, it's okay to be bad at stuff. A lot of guys are bad in a lot of different areas, but if you don't go do those things, it doesn't matter as much. But he does those things a lot that he's not good at, and that just actively drags down your defense in a way that I'm not as worried about with like his transition scoring efficiency because the passing really pulls it up, but... ISO and post-ups, he's he's not quite where he needs to be. And unless that changes, that is going to be a really frustrating piece for me this upcoming season. Yeah, I mean, this is this falls partially, at least, because uh, it, <coughs> it's part of who he is as a player. You know, obviously, LeBron's not going to be able to cut all that out. But this does fall a little bit in that zone of, okay, you know, the lowest usage he's had since 2011 is 34.3%. That's going to be 30 this year. It's just is. Maybe. And he is <laughs> going to have one of his lowest usages of the last decade. And I will, you know, I would bet on that because of they have two other high usage, high efficiency, dominant guys. Like this is the. This their other two, and yes, even if LeBron takes a step back in usage, does more things on, you know, still commits to the defensive end as far as using his his energy bar and all that. But you know, man's the second unit, you know, start of the second lineups, all that. Russ's usage is still going to come down. I still expect it to come down, and if it's at thirty five percent, it is a problem. It is absolutely a problem because there. Are, that's too much. That's just that. That's just too much. Yeah, he he needs to get one thing that he can change in his game that would make a huge difference. Would be like he can run a set. He can be your passer. He can be your trigger man. A lot of times in Washington, with 14 seconds left on the shot clock, if the set didn't work, it was Russ one on one ISO time that usually ended up in a mid range jump shot. He's got to mm-hmm. get better at. We need to run a second action or pass the ball over to LeBron and let LeBron do something or go get the ball to AD. He can't be the late clock default option in the mid clock. And he he makes a lot of mid clock poor decisions in ways that like we talk about like players settling for shots or settling for threes or settling for jumpers. It's only settling if it's not a good expected, you know, efficiency compared to how much time is left on the clock. If you get a a wide open corner three with 23 seconds left on the shot clock, that's a great shot. Like, I'll take that. If you are settling for a mid-range pull-up jumper with 18 seconds left on the shot clock, that's settling because you can do more with the ball and you can try to pressure the defense in ways to get a better, higher quality shot. And it's the between 15 to 10 second range that he takes a lot of his... I'm going to go settle jumpers and he banks a bunch of them in. Um, And, and, you know, we're going to see the good, we're going to see the bad there. He will have stretches where for like a couple weeks, he's shooting the the hell out of the ball. And we're going to see stretches where he can't hit anything for a couple weeks. Cause that's just what, that's just what happens. Um, But as a whole, if we can curb those tendencies a bit, 
it makes him fit in a lot better with the rest of the team. And I think his usage will drop, but the drop-off from him to the fourth guy on this team is going to be bigger than the drop-off from, like, Schroeder to the fourth guy last year. So I think, in theory, you could have uh, probably not the same amount of usage, but still pretty high usage being, like, one of three major guys with a huge drop-off than to the rest of the, the roster offensively. So that, yeah. you know, is concerning while at the same time, it's like, yeah, the ball's in his hands more. He can play make more. Like, there, there are mm-hmm. pros and cons to all of it, and it, it really matters how he approaches the game. And, and that is really what's going to make the difference. And he's been someone in his career, and, like, we've seen Kobe praise him on this. This is something that, like, I kind of see similar in their games is that mentality that he has where he's able to just overcome adversity and he's going to just you know through his will through his physicality like just go do what he needs to go do but if that's not the right move don't make that move like there are better alternatives on this roster with some of the guys you're playing with at times so we just need to see him play smart a little bit smarter instead of you know trying to go mamba mentality with 18 seconds left in the shot clock well to be fair he was one of the more efficient um, volume scores in, in the clutch last year. Um, but let's put all that aside uh, and take a quick break. And then we can talk about for a little bit about what the Lakers do next with their roster. Um, Caruso, THT, and all these other names are linked to the Lakers. We'll take a quick break. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done. All right, Tim, and we're back. Right now, I'm just going to read you a list uh, from my brain because I've seen so many names linked to the Lakers, right? So this is, like, written about from basketball journalists like Eric Pincus, other people. This is all the names we've heard, right? Patty Mills, DeMar DeRozan, half the fucking Spurs team, (laughs) Rudy Gay, (laughs) Carmelo Anthony, Dwight Howard, JaVale McGee. I don't know. Talk to me. Of of those names post-Russell Westbrook trade, which makes sense and which don't? Because for me, Patty Mills is a nice backup point guard. 
Awesome. I'm in. Can he play alongside Russ at the one and two? I don't think so. Yeah, it's a tough fit because you don't want Patty guarding the two. But Russ is somebody that his defense, when he's at the point of attack and engaged, can be good and is still good. He, he still has that when he's off ball and we start to see him wander around. That's when bad things happen. So that wouldn't be a great combo. But I mean, offensively, Patty is someone that a couple of weeks ago when we talked about him as an option, mm-hmm. the concern was, you know, his playmaking is not really where you want it to be. He's a great off ball mm-hmm. shooter. He can go play. And now we don't need that. And, and, and now we don't need that playmaking. So as mm-hmm. just an off ball catch and shoot guy that can be your nominal point guard. I mean, he's, he's better than KCP and Avery Bradley were at that nominal point guard position. Like he can be out there. He can be a score first, but like off ball kind of guy that can run some ball screens. Isn't somebody you're going to play drop in under coverage against. And, and that can have some synergy with an Anthony Davis and ball screens. And he's a good enough shooter that off ball. I, I like that. I'm down with that fit. This is why it's partially like so important for us to bring back Alex Caruso, because not only are we filling out the rest of the roster, Tim, but I'm trying to fill out a closing lineup of guys who I want in there and I can see as a championship level roster, you know, five to six. Maybe you have a sixth guy who's if this team is extra big and weird, whatever, you know. But right now, if they bring back Caruso, it's Russ, Caruso, Braun, AD. And that's the four. You still need a fifth. You need a wing in there Mm -hmm. to take some of those defensive minutes off of LeBron's back and allow him to hide and help. And this is all considering you're moving AD to the five full time, basically, which I hope they do. I genuinely do. I'm a little still skeptical on whether or not they're there yet, but I hope so. But these roster moves will say a lot, right? If they have Mark, if Mark returns and they bring back Dwight or JaVale, there's still a chance he could play a lot of five, but it sounds like they're going back to let's run back the 1920 team plus Russ. Yeah, and that's not exciting. That's not innovative. It's not pushing the envelope. That's, yeah, this worked before. Let's try it. <laughs> and mm-hmm. Dwight Howard was someone that, like, throughout this past season, I, you know, kind of saw. I, I, I hadn't really updated my, you know, view on him. But talking to some Philly people, talking to looking at some of the data, like, he's taking a little bit of a step back. JaVale's taking a, a step back. These guys are getting older. They're not the same guys they were even just a couple of years ago. But they're also at positions where they'd be cheap. They are, for the most part, pretty good still at what they're supposed to be good at. It's a different kind of look. And it's not a position where not having a shooter really hurts you. So I'm okay with just a roll and cut, dump off, lob threat, rebounding, shot blocking big. I'm okay with that. And I I think if you bring JaVale in and you don't have a bunch of time to play him between ad and mark and him he'd probably be okay with that dwight might be in that same position so i don't see them as problematic within the locker room or from a style of play standpoint fit with everybody else but if you have them out there that just means that's a one more position you're locking in as not having a shooter i mean you probably want another center just it just in case like no matter what happens Mm -hmm. so if those are those guys 
I'm cool with that. And obviously it's at minimum, it's not any of the, the mid-level. Um, but some of these other guys, a lot, a lot, a lot of smoke about Damar, <clears throat> you know, I've seen some reports about Rudy as well, but I, like I mentioned before, dude, I buy it with Damar. I believe he would take less money, but how would he fit in with these other non-shooting players? Yeah. It's not a good fit. I, I think Rudy's way more likely to happen. Actually, I, for, for DeMar spoke a week, two weeks ago, uh, on a, on a podcast and, and talked about wanting, like he'll take less to go win a title. And they asked him like how much less. And I don't know if it was, it was in that podcast or it came out in other reporting. Like he still wants to make like 10 or $12 million a year or something like that. And the Lakers can't get close to that. So I see him actually as a much better fit with the Clippers if they're able to make that work, just fitting within their existing pretty good spacing. I like that fit a lot better than his fit with the Lakers because adding him in doesn't, you know, he's not going to kill teams on the the boards. He's not going to, like, he's a mid-range ISO. Like, he's still pretty good. Like, he's really good at what he does in terms of attacking in the post, attacking in ball screens, attacking in isolations. But the fit as a fourth option isn't, good you you it just functionally it's a once you get to your fourth fifth sixth seventh eighth guys fit and talent the 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 weight there starts to change with russ the talent's really high the fit isn't great but we can worry about that fit with the pieces down the line once you start to get to those pieces down the line we can't just opt for talent over fit every single time and then expect to run out a team with like one shooter in a lineup and have it work you're going to go under every ball screen. You're going to drop coverage all the time. You're going to sag off guys off ball. You are going to like really aggressively zone up on the weak side and then stunt against drives and ISOs. And like not all these guys can be good post up or ISO scores, but if none of them have off ball gravity, they're all going to be facing, you know, one, one V twos at all times when they try to go to these things they are usually good at. And we already saw how the Lakers offensively with an X's and O's tactics standpoint really struggled with that this past season. So that is not, I don't want to be in a situation where just the default option is the Lakers are fighting with, you know, against a defense that has, has the high ground if they engage in any degree of tactics, because the ultimate goal is a title anyway. So mm-hmm. you, you need to have some degree of shooting out there and DeMar's not that guy. If you didn't get Russ, I can see going for DeMar making some sense. Positionally, it's a tough fit, but Russ and DeMar and what else you already have, it's it's a really, really tough sell for me. Yeah, well, I mean, I think the Lakers are still trying to build themselves around the defensive identity of Frank Vogel and Anthony Davis. Um, so say what you will about Kuz and the kind of player he started as and became, but he was helpful in defense and rebounding. And KCP was helpful in his chaser role uh, at the two position. Mm-hmm. So there needs to be a solution there, at least in, you know, 70, 75, 80% replacement level for some of these guys. And, as good as Caruso is at the point of attack, you know, he's not quite the chaser that KCP is. So maybe he can fill in. I don't know. Of all the practical options, Caruso at this, the starting two makes the most sense to me. THT makes me worried because it's, again, too similar to Rust to start next to him. Right. As far as the kind of shots that they're going to create for themselves. Uh, and then again, the defensive side as well. So who at the two and the three 
are options to you as far as like, is Otto Porter right? Is he healthy? Is he even an option? I know Andre Iguodala just had his team option declined today. Um, I think Andre's been washed for a couple years, to be perfectly honest. But at a vet men, you know what I mean? Obviously, we had Wesley Matthews, I think, will factor into this. But he'll have to take a pay cut for the vet men because I don't think they would spend the, the mini mid-level on him. Uh, I, I think that's an option, you know? I think that's totally something that could happen. I would like to see that happen. What else, where else can they pluck guys at the two, three, maybe four? You know, is Keith going to come back? Does Keith make sense on this roster now? Mm, you know, maybe as a 10th guy, but then you're starting to, I don't think Dudley can come back now because we can't afford an extra roster spot based on somebody who's realistically not going to be able to play. Mm -hmm. And I love Jared Dudley. Make him an assistant coach. You know, have him around. Yeah. Pay him. But don't have him take up a roster spot when you can't put him on the floor on a regular basis to have at least, a, you know, this, this, and this is why you're out there to help us. I think there's a, there are enough open roster spots that maybe a, a two weeks from now we feel a little bit better about what the team has been able to add. And it's like, okay, we do still have two spots. Sure. Fine. Yeah, but I agree. From a basket winning basketball standpoint, it wouldn't be the best use of of, of a position, it, given how many question marks there are, and given how much redundancy is in the right word. Given how much lack of shooting there is with a lot of the players yeah. we know will play. THT not a shooter. Russ not a shooter. AD as much as we'd like to think he's a shooter, as much as he shot well in the playoffs in the title year. He hasn't been a good three-point shooter in his career. He's going to be better yeah. than your Dwight Howard's and your JaVale McGee's, but he's not really a shooter. And so you you are going to need some extra guys that give you different looks off the bench. So instead of just going from a starting unit to a bench unit in the playoffs, that is the same, same deal. Get to the rim and struggle with shooting. You need to be able to have those change-ups if you want to go that route. I'm not saying you need to go that route, but if you want to, you, mm -hmm. you want to be able to have the roster space for those different kinds of guys. Two dudes that will cover in more depth once we get to Summer League, but I just want to point out with Joel Ayayi. I, I keep wanting to say uh, Ajayi, for, like the, the running back. I, I, um, same thing. Same, same. He and Austin Reeves, both of them are guards. Both of them were strong pick-and-roll players in college. Both of them were, like, on-ball pick-and-roll guys that off-ball, you know, could catch and shoot. Um, that The Lakers going two-for-two two in terms of getting that kind of guy with the ro with oh, the, awesome. the higher-level roster spots, uh, the, those undrafted free agents that they went after. I think that says that they, they're hoping maybe one of those two guys can fill a backup, you know, pick-and-roll guard kind of role. Yeah, he shot 60% on his pull-up threes and ball screens at Gonzaga. He shot 12 for 20, and he was the most efficient pick-and-roll ball handler of the 579 guys in college uh, that had 50 or more ball screens last year. So, again, don't want to dive too deep. Don't want to you know waste content or anything, but they might have that kind of player kind of figured out already. Um, with like They're a, on two-way contracts, though. What I'm thinking is they might convert – one, what I think summer league will happen. I think this might take some time, but we might see them end up converting 
one or both of these guys to just min deals because they'll get paid. Mm-hmm. One, they'll get paid more money. Two, they'll be available to play on the team more often. They they won't be limited in right. terms of how much they can be up. And that lets the team go grab another two-way guy and, and fill that spot instead. So uh, Juan Toscano-Anderson for the, the Warriors, he had that happen last year. We might see that happen this year because we know both of these guys are dudes that could have been drafted but mm-hmm. position themselves in a way to be undrafted and then go towards the Lakers. And if they were to do something like that, I wouldn't be surprised if the team said, hey, if you play well, this will happen or there's a really good chance this will happen, given how many open roster spots the team has. So that might be a way we see lower bench spots filled out as well. It doesn't answer our wing question. It doesn't answer the question you asked me, but we might have yeah. a backup guard or two available as well that that might be a good so it's fit with the start AD. of an answer it's the start of an answer because there are just so many questions at this point we need we need more of everything yeah, exactly so you can fit yeah. you can fit a dwight javel guy and like yeah that's fine we've got the space sure. it's okay to have another you need another big uh derozan's a tough fit rudy gay i think would fit well as a what about carmelo mellow <sighs> see this is what i was it's, joking the russ it's hard to what was it, stack that many guys where you're like, we need you to tangibly change how you play basketball at the same time to have success. It, it like Melo's Melo's a tough sell but for me. Tim, have you seen him play basketball in a hoodie? When let me know when the uniform rules change and, <laughs> and then we can rediscuss. Like, and he's to his credit, like he's he's knocking down threes left and right. He's a good off ball three point shooter. He's doing still a little bit too much of his on-ball stuff. He's still trying to be a shot creator. And defensively, he has fallen off just completely to the point where his offensive impact, just to be a neutral player, would have to be 95th percentile impact, which is like, you know, we need you to be who you were, you know, eight years ago at your peak to justify how poor you are today with your defense. So, I mean, maybe there's something there for Vogel to make more out of, but he's somebody that was already hiding on defense bottom five bottom 10 in terms of matchup difficulty he was uh in a perimeter big role but not very active at all it's hard to slot him in with lebron with ad with any of these other guys and like it's it's just hard to hide poor defenders and both he and DeRozan are guys that have been hidden recently and still been very poor negative impact defensive players so that to me it's there are some like buddy healed was somebody we could have made a lot more out of defensively Mello and DeRozan aren't guys that I feel great about. Yeah, I don't. I mean, I hate it. It's fine. Yeah, I don't have answers. We need shooting. The thing is, like, we need to go (laughs) go run through our nose again and find that main shooters. Um, A couple others. Obviously, Reggie Bullock, I don't think, is in our price range. Um, But uh, Wayne Ellington. I'll take it. He can shoot. Yeah, we we can't be picky at this point. We need shooting. Yeah, I mean, in the practicality is like how how many people of that level are willing to be the Lakers seventh man? I I mean, shit, they might be the starting two, but still, in in effect, they're going to have to your point earlier, like 12 percent usage Mm -hmm. or something, something stupid low, you know, and. A lot of those guys know who they are. A lot of those, you know, but some of those guys want more too and want the opportunity to to be more and to prove they can do more. Mm-hmm. So it's hard to see some. And Wayne Ellington's, you know, a little bit more of a veteran, you know, setting his role a little bit probably yep. more than a Reggie Bullock who wants maybe some more, you know, mm-hmm. more opportunity perhaps. But these are the kind of guys where like, 
all right, where's that? Where's the line between shooting and defense that yeah. we, you know, are trying to still like find defenders mm-hmm. to make us that strong defense uh, that we've been the last two years? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. if, if Dragic would be someone that would be interesting if he ends up available. Yeah, got, they they picked. Oh, it they up. picked it up. Oh, never mind. Yeah. Uh, JJ Redick. I don't know if he will be available or not, but that would be someone that yeah. if he's available. Could make sense from Dallas's perspective, unless they're just trying to clear space. If they do bring back Tim Hardaway Jr., it's in their best interest to bring back JJ Redick. And then if they want to mm-hmm. trade him, trade him. If he doesn't want to be there, you know, sign him anyway and then trade him later. Because if they right. let him go, they replace him with a min. So he might be someone that's available. But just in general, I think shooting and being willing to take on guys that can shoot well and can't do other things well because mm-hmm. we don't need role players that are balanced. We need role players that can fill the very gaping hole with the existing roster, which is a lot of guys that can play on ball, can get to the rim, and we just need to be able to not have them going to the rim with three defenders standing in front of them. So yeah. some some degree of spacing is going to be hopefully the goal moving forward. And maybe there's something available with a Schroeder sign-and-trade or get, you know— some sort of uh, trade exception that you can then take on another bad money deal from someone else. I don't know. If they can go get like a Davis Berton somehow that just can shoot really, really well, I would love that. I, I don't know if that's doable, but that those would be the types of guys I'm looking for is like, go find our Joe Harris that we need to just go out there and, and be able to shoot and, we, you know, trust that the staff can make more of some of these players defensively and, Fill out the rest of the roster however you can, but you can't go all in on getting to the rim with all 15 (laughs) roster spots. You need to, you know, you can have your strength, you know, on-ball guys be those types of players, but the off-ball guys need to be able to have some degree of spacing. Yeah. Well, we will be back uh, this week again, I'm sure, because free agency opens up here, you know, in like just over 24 hours. And uh, lots of stuff still to come with the Lakers having to fill out 60% of their (laughs) rosters still, um, which sounds crazy. Tim, I booked my summer league plans. I'll be there Monday, August 9th through Thursday, uh, August 12th. So, you know, maybe I'll throw up in the Discord if anyone else, you know, there is going. We can meet up, get some drinks or just sit in the stands together. I'm going alone, you know. I'll stay with my mom. She lives out there, so... I'm looking for people to hang out with. So I know we are we're gonna be passing ships there. You're gonna go like as I'm as I'm leaving or something like that. That's what but. it was looking like. Now we're not sure if we're gonna go anymore, given that we wouldn't be able to go in at the same time and then also with the yeah. the coronavirus stuff and yeah. trying to save some vacation time for us to go to Greece yeah. in a little bit. Yeah. So I'm on the Everybody. fence right now, but maybe. But I know I know there were folks in the Discord who we're trying to to meet up and a, a number of them that we're planning on going. So that'd be a, a fun chance sure. to get everybody together. Yeah. Then we can pot about uh, the new guys, uh, Austin Reeves and Joel Ayayi. And, uh, you know, just talk about some of the, all the, the young players. I love Summer League, dude. I know. I'm, I'm stoked to go. So it, it'll be Hit more interesting this time around because we have so many roster spots. Like there's yeah, just, there's opportunity. This team has opportunity this year. So if you kick What's ass that? at Summer League, you know what's that goofy white kid's name that we have? Mac McClung. Yeah, he was McClung. I didn't watch him all that much last year, but the year prior in Georgetown, I saw him in person a few times, and he was not not very good. 
but I don't know. Honestly, he looks like a kid that I want to root against. <laughs> and he's on my team right now. Okay. I'm just is that too much? <laughs> I see where you're going with that. I, I He's got a he's got a punchable face. Okay. Unfortunately for him, <laughs> the, the team has Russell Westbrook and the other two more headliner undrafted free agents are are ball handlers as well. So that that makes his path to a roster spot a little bit more difficult. But we will be rooting for all of the Laker players, Tom, during Summer League. And I will also Fine. be rooting for Summer League to. player Michael Beasley. If I have to. Oh, <laughs> Lord. I think that's time to stop. Thank you for listening. Uh, get us, get at us in our DMs with the five-star review on Apple or wherever you listen to pods to get that Discord invite link. And uh, Tim, yeah, I'm sure we'll be back again soon. Uh, so, yeah, keep an eye. Turn on your notifications for Woj and Shams, y'all. Probably Chris Haynes, too. But until then, we'll talk to you next time. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.